Section 14 of Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marwak. Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. Chapter 6 An Accident Rooted in History. Part 3 leak check and putty in addition to the action item from nasa headquarters another result of the forty one b erosion was a warning written by john q miller marshal chief of the solid motor branch to george hardy through keith coates miller was worried about the two charred rings on forty one b and the missing putty found when the solid rocket boosters were recovered and disassembled he specifically identified the putty's sensitivity to humidity and temperature as potential sources of problems. The thermal design of the solid rocket motor joints depends on thermal protection of the O-ring by the putty, Miller said. Failure of the putty to provide a thermal barrier can lead to burning both O-rings and subsequent catastrophic failure. The memorandum also said that the O-ring leak check procedure and its potential effect on the putty installation and possible displacement is also an urgent concern which requires expedition of previously identified full-scale tests. From the beginning, Thiokol had suspected the putty was a contributing factor in O-ring erosion, even after STS-2. In April 1983, Thiokol reported on tests conducted to study the behavior of the joint putty. One conclusion of the report was that the STS-2 erosion was probably caused by blowholes in the putty, which allowed a jet of hot gas to focus on a point on the primary O-ring. Thiokol discovered the focused jet ate away or impinged on portions of the O-ring. Thiokol calculated that the maximum possible impingement erosion was 0 .090 inch, and that lab tests proved that an O-ring would seal at 3,000 psi when erosion of 0 .095 inches was simulated. This safety margin was the basis for approving shuttle flights, while accepting the possibility of O-ring erosion. Shortly after Miller's routing slipped to Hardy about the urgent concern of the missing putty on 41-B at Thiokol, Brian Russell authored a letter to Robert Ebeling, which analyzed the erosion history and the test data. Russell's April 19, 1984 conclusion was that the putty itself and its layup were not at fault, but that the higher stabilization pressure adopted in leak chuck procedures, first implemented in one field joint on STS-9, may increase the chances of O-ring erosion. The conclusion by Miller and Russell was that the air pressure forced through the joint during the O-ring leak chuck was creating more putty blowholes allowing more focused jets on the primary O-ring, thereby increasing the frequency of erosion. This hypothesis that O-ring erosion is related to putty blowholes is substantiated by the leak check history. Prior to January 1984 and STS-41-B, when the leak check pressure was 50 or 100 psi, only one field joint O-ring anomaly had been found during the first nine flights. However, when the leak check stabilization pressure was officially boosted to 200 psi for STS-41-B, over half the shuttle missions experienced field joint O-ring blow-by or erosion of some kind. 
Moreover, the nozzle O-ring history of problems is similar. The nozzle joint leak check was changed from 50 PSI to 100 PSI before STS-9 launched in November 1983. After this change, the incidence of O-ring anomalies in the nozzle joint increased from 12% to 56% for all shuttle flights. The nozzle pressure was increased to 200 PSI for Mission 51-D in April 1985 and 51-G in June 1985, and all subsequent missions. Following the implementation of the 200 PSI check on the nozzle, 88% of all flights experienced erosion or blow-by. Other Thiokol and NASA witnesses agreed that they were aware that the increase in blowholes in the putty could contribute to O-ring erosion. The Commission testimony of May 2, 1986 reads, Dr. Walker, the analysis that some of our staff has done suggests that after you increase the test pressure to 200 pounds, the incidence of blow-by and erosion actually increased. Mr. Russell, we realized that. Lawrence Malloy was also questioned about the blowholes in the putty. Dr. Walker, do you agree that the primary cause of the erosion is the blowholes in the putty? Mr. Malloy, I believe it is, yes. Dr. Walker, and so your leak check procedure created blowholes in the putty? Mr. Malloy, that is one cause of blowholes in the putty. Dr. Walker, but in other words, your leak check procedure could indeed cause what was your primary problem. Didn't that concern you? Mr. Malloy, yes, sir. Notwithstanding the knowledge that putty blowholes caused erosion and that higher pressure in the leak check caused more blowholes, Thiokol recommended and NASA accepted the increased pressure to ensure that the joint actually passed the integrity tests. The documentary evidence produced by NASA and Thiokol demonstrates that Marshall was very concerned about the putty erosion blowhole problem after STS-41-B. In addition to John Miller's routing slip about putty on STS-41-B discussed above, there is a report of a June 7, 1984 telephone conference between Messrs. Thompson, Coates, and Ray, Marshall, and Messrs. Sayer, Boisjoli, Russell, and Parker, Thiokol, among others. Marshall told Thiokol that NASA was very concerned about the O-ring erosion problem and that design changes were necessary, including possible putty changes. The Thiokol engineers discussed Marshall's suggestions after the telephone conference, but decided they could not agree a change was mandatory. A follow-up telephone conference was held between Ben Powers of Marshall and Lawrence Sayer of Thiokol on July 2. Powers told Sayer that NASA would not accept the removal of the putty from the joint and that everyone expected the test to show that gas jets would damage an O-ring. However, Powers expressly stated that Marshall would not accept Thiokol's opinion that no further tests were necessary. In mid-1984, the early tests after NASA's action item for 41-C led Thiokol to the conclusion that O-ring erosion was a function of the putty blowhole size and the amount of free volume between the putty orifice and the O-ring. The damage to the O-ring was judged to be worse when the blowhole was smaller and the free volume was larger. While Thiokol did establish plans for putty tests to determine how it was affected by the leak check in response to the 41-C action item, their progress in completing the tests was slow. 
The action item was supposed to be completed by May 30, 1984, but as late as March 6, 1985, there are Marshall internal memos that complain that Thiokol had not taken any action on Marshall's December 1983 directive to provide data on putty behavior as affected by the joint leak check stabilization pressure. Figure 4. A table showing NASA official, position, and description of awareness of O-ring problems. John Young, Chief Astronaut Office. The secret seal, which no one that we know knew about. Milton Silvera, Chief Engineer. If I had known, I'm sure in the 82 time period, when we first came to that conclusion, that the seal was not redundant, I would have insisted that we get busy right now on a design change, and also look for any temporary fix we could do to improve the operation of the seal. James Beggs, former NASA Administrator. I had no specific concerns with the joint, the O-rings, or the putty. Arnold Aldrich, Manager. National Space Transportation System. Jesse Moore, former Associate Administrator for Spaceflight. Richard Smith, Director, Kennedy Space Center. And James A. Thomas, Deputy Director, Kennedy Launch and Landing Operations. None were aware of Thiokol's concern about negative effect of cold temperature on O-ring performance, nor were they informed of the same concern raised after STS-51-C. End Figure 4. STS-51-C and Cold Temperature On January 24, 1985, STS-51-C was launched. The temperature of the O-rings at launch was 53 degrees, the coldest to that date. O-ring erosion occurred in both solid boosters. The right and left nozzle joint showed evidence of blow-by between the primary and secondary O-rings. The primary O-ring in the left booster's forward field joint was eroded and had blow-by, or soot, behind the ring. The right booster's damage was in the center field joint, the first time that field joint seal was damaged. Both its primary and secondary O-rings were affected by heat, and the primary ring also had evidence of blow-by of soot behind it. This was also the first flight where a secondary O-ring showed the effect of heat. STS-51-C was the second example of O-ring damage in flight, where there was evidence of blow-by erosion as well as impingement erosion. As noted previously, impingement erosion occurs where the O-ring has already sealed and a focused jet of hot gas strikes the surface of the ring and removes a portion of it. Blow-by erosion happens when the O-ring has not yet sealed the joint gap and the edge of the ring erodes as the hot gas flows around it. Roger Bojoli described the blow-by erosion seen in 51-C. SRM-15, STS-51-C, actually increased our concern because that was the first time we had actually penetrated a primary O-ring on a field joint with hot gas, and we had a witness of that event because the grease between the O-rings was blackened just like coal and that was so much more significant than had ever been seen before on any blow-by on any joint. The fact was that now you introduced another phenomenon. You have impingement erosion and bypass erosion, and the O-ring material gets removed from the cross-section of the O-ring much, much faster when you have bypass erosion or blow-by. 
Beaujolais also said blow-by erosion was where the primary O-ring at the beginning of the transient cycle is still being attacked by hot gas, and it is eroding at the same time it is trying to seal, and it is a race between will it erode more than the time allowed to have it seal. He described the blow-by on 51-C as over 100 degrees of arc, and the blow-by was absolutely jet black. It was totally intermixed in a homogeneous mixture in the grease. When the blow-by material was chemically analyzed, Beaujolais said, we found the products of putty in it. We found the products of O-ring in it. On the Marshall Problem Assessment Report that was started to track field joint erosion after STS-41-B, the STS-51-C O-ring anomaly was described as O-ring burns were as bad or worse than previously experienced. Design changes are pending test results. The changes being considered included modifying the O-rings and adding grease around the O-rings to fill the void left by putty blowholes. On January 31, 1985, Marshall Solid Rocket Booster Project Manager Malloy sent an urgent message to Lawrence Ware with a stated subject, 51-C O-ring erosion, RE-51-E-FRR. The message ordered that the flight readiness review for the upcoming flight should recap all incidents of O-ring erosion, whether nozzle or case joint, and all incidents where there is evidence of flow past the primary O-ring, also the rationale used for accepting the condition on the nozzle O-ring, also the most probable scenario and limiting mechanism for flow past the primary on the 51-C case joints. If Thiokol does not have all of this for today, I would like to see the logic on a chart with blanks to be filled in. On February 8, 1985, Thiokol presented its most detailed analysis to date of the erosion problems to the Solid Rocket Motor Project Office at Marshall for what was then called Shuttle Mission 51-E, but later changed to 51-D. Thiokol included a report on damage incurred by the O-rings during Flight 51-C at the left forward and right center field joints. The right center joint had hot gas past the primary O-ring. Thiokol said that caused a concern that the gas seal could be lost, but its resolution was accept risk. Thiokol presented test results showing maximum expected erosion and maximum erosion experienced for both primary and secondary O-rings, for the field and nozzle joints. Accepting damage to the primary O-ring was being justified in part based on an assumption of the secondary O-ring working even with erosion. However, the criticality classification indicated the primary seal was a single point of failure. During this flight readiness assessment at Marshall, for the first time, Thiokol mentioned temperature as a factor in O-ring erosion and blow-by. Thiokol said in its conclusions that low temperature enhanced probability of blow-by. Flight 51-C experienced worst-case temperature change in Florida history. Thiokol concluded that while the next shuttle flight could exhibit the same behavior, nonetheless the condition is not desirable but is acceptable. At the Level 1 Flight Readiness Review conducted on February 21, there was no detailed analysis of O-ring problems presented or any reference made to low temperature effects. Instead, a single reference indicated the O-ring erosion and blow-by experienced was acceptable 
because of limited exposure time and redundancy. STS-51-B and the Launch Constraint Joint seal problems occurred in each of the next four shuttle flights. Flight 51-D, launched April 12, 1985, had nozzle o-ring erosion and blow-by on an igniter joint. STS-51-B, launched 17 days later, experienced both nozzle o-ring erosion and blow-by, as did 51-G, which flew on the following June 17. STS-51-F, launched July 29, 1985, had nozzle o-ring blow-by. In response to the apparent negative effect of cold leading to the extensive O-ring problems on Flight 51-C in January, Thiokol conducted some O-ring resiliency tests in early 1985. The tests were conducted to quantify the seal timing function of the secondary O-ring and the effect of joint rotation on its ability to back up the primary ring. The key variable was temperature. The June 3 test report, which was described in an August 9, 1985 letter from Brian Russell at Thiokol to Jim Thomas at Marshall, showed, Bench test data indicate that the O-ring resiliency, its capability to follow the metal, is a function of temperature and rate of case expansion. Thiokol measured the force of the O-ring against instron platens, which simulated the normal squeeze on the O-ring and approximated the case expansion distance and rate. At 100 degrees Fahrenheit, the O-ring maintained contact. At 75 degrees, the O-ring lost contact for 2.4 seconds. At 50 degrees, the O-ring did not re-establish contact in 10 minutes, at which time the test was terminated. On June 25, 1985, the left nozzle joint of STS-51-B, launched April 29, was disassembled and inspected after it had been shipped back to Thiokol. What Thiokol found was alarming. The primary O-ring seal had been compromised because it eroded 0.171 inches and it did not seal. The secondary O-ring did seal, but it had eroded 0.032 inches. Lawrence Malloy described the 51-B problem as follows. The erosion of a secondary O-ring was a new and significant event that we certainly did not understand. Everything up to that point had been the primary O-ring, even though it had experienced some erosion, does seal. What we had evidence of was that here was a case where the primary O-ring was violated, and the secondary O-ring was eroded, and that was considered to be a more serious observation than previously observed. What we saw in 51-B it was evident that the primary ring never sealed at all, and we saw erosion all the way around that O-ring, and that is where the point one seven one came from, and that was not in the model that predicted a maximum of point zero nine zero. The maximum of point zero nine zero is the maximum erosion that can occur if the primary O-ring seals. But in this case, the primary O-ring did not seal. Therefore, you had another volume to fill, and the flow was longer and it was blow-by, and you got more erosion. Upon receiving the report of the 51-B primary ring failure, Solid Rocket Booster Project Manager Malloy and the Marshall Problem Assessment Committee placed a launch constraint on the shuttle system. A 1980 Marshall letter which references assigning launch constraints on open problems submitted to MSFC PAS 
defines launch constraints as all open problems coded criticality 1, 1R, 2, or 2R will be considered launch constraints until resolved, recurrence control established, and its implementation effectively determined, or sufficient rationale, i.e., different configuration, etc., exists to conclude that this problem will not occur on the flight vehicle during pre-launch, launch, or flight. Lawrence Malloy told the Commission that the launch constraint was put on after we saw the secondary O-ring erosion on the 51-B nozzle. Based on the amount of charring, the problem report listing the constraint said, the erosion paths on the primary O-ring, and what is understood about the erosion phenomenon, it is believed that the primary O-ring of the joint never sealed. The constraint applied to STS-51-F and all flights subsequent, including STS-51-L. Although one Marshall document says that the constraint applied to all O-ring anomalies, no similar launch constraint was noted on the Marshall Problem Assessment Report that started tracking the field joint erosion after STS-41-B. Viacall officials who testified before the Commission all claimed they were not aware of the July 1985 launch constraint. However, Thiokol letters referenced Marshall Record Number A09288, the report that expressly identified the constraint. After the launch constraint was imposed, Project Manager Malloy waived it for each shuttle flight after July 10, 1985. Mr. Malloy and Mr. Lawrence Ware outlined the procedure in the following manner. Chairman Rogers, to you, what does a constraint mean then? Mr. Malloy, a launch constraint means that we have to address the observations, see if we have seen anything on the previous flight that changes our previous rationale, and address that at the flight readiness review. Chairman Rogers, when you say address it, I always get confused by the word. Do you mean think about it? Is that what you mean? Mr. Malloy, no, sir. I mean present the data as to whether or not what we have seen in our most recent observation which may not be the last flight, it may be the flight before that, is within our experience base, and whether or not the previous analysis and tests that previously concluded that was an acceptable situation is still valid, based upon later observations. The constraint was put on after we saw the secondary O-ring erosion on the nozzle, I believe. Chairman Rogers. Who decided that? Mr. Malloy. I decided that, that that would be addressed. Until that problem was resolved, it would be considered a launch constraint and addressed at flight readiness reviews to assure that we were staying within our test experience base. Chairman Rogers, do you have ultimate responsibility for waiving the launch constraints? Mr. Malloy, yes, sir. I have ultimate responsibility for the launch readiness of the solid rocket boosters. Chairman Rogers, so there was a launch constraint, and you waived it. Mr. Malloy. Yes, sir. All flights subsequent to. Dr. Ride, I'm trying to understand how you deal with the launch constraint. How important do you think a launch constraint is, and how unusual is it in your system? Mr. Ware, I think a launch constraint is a significant event in our system, and it is one that has to be addressed within the flight readiness cycle, because I don't have the authority to not do that. Dr. Ride. Why didn't you put a launch constraint on the field joint at the same time? Mr. Malloy. 
I think at that point, and I will react to that question in real time, because I haven't really thought about it, but I think the logic was that we had been observing the field joint, the field and nozzle joint primary o-ring erosion. This erosion of a secondary o-ring was a new and significant event, very new and significant, even that we certainly did not understand. Everything up to that point had been that the primary o-ring, even though it had experienced some erosion, does seal. What we had evidence of was that here was a case where the primary o-ring was violated, and the secondary o-ring was eroded, and that was considered to be a more serious observation than previously observed. Dr. Ride, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't you basing most of your decisions on the field joint on analysis of what was the maximum, what you believed to be the maximum possible erosion, and you had that analysis for the field joint and for the nozzle joint? When you saw the complete erosion of the primary o-ring on the nozzle joint, that showed you that your analysis on the nozzle joint wasn't any good, I would think. That would indicate, to you, that your analysis on the field joint wasn't very good either, or at least should be suspect. Mr. Malloy, the conclusion, rightly or wrongly, for the cause of the secondary o-ring erosion on the nozzle joint, it was concluded from test data we had that 100 psi pressurization leak check that the putty could mask a primary o-ring that was not sealing. The conclusion was, and that one was done at 100 psi, the conclusion was that in order to get that type of erosion that we saw in the primary o-ring, that that o-ring never sealed, and therefore the conclusion was that it never was capable of sealing. The leak check on subsequent nozzles, all subsequent nozzles, was run at 200 psi which the test data indicated would always blow through the putty, and in always blowing through the putty, we were guaranteed that we had a primary o-ring seal that was capable of sealing, and then we further did, and we already had that on the field joints at that time. While Malloy and Ware both testified that the constraint was still in effect and waived for Challenger's flight, they told the Commission that there had been two erroneous entries on the o-ring erosion nozzle problem assessment report stating the o-ring erosion problem had been resolved or closed. Thiokol had suggested this closure on December 10, 1985, at Marshall's request, according to Brian Russell, but Ware and Malloy told the Commission they rejected that recommendation and the problem was still being addressed in flight readiness reviews. NASA Levels 1 and 2 apparently did not realize Marshall had assigned a launch constraint within the problem assessment system. This communication failure was contrary to the requirement contained in the NASA Problem Reporting and Corrective Action Requirement System that launch constraints were to be taken to Level 2. Escalating Concerns When the burn-through of the primary nozzle O-ring on the left solid rocket booster of STS-51-B was discovered in Utah on June 25, 1985, an engineer from the NASA Headquarters Shuttle Propulsion Group was on the scene. Three days after the 51-B inspection, a memorandum was written to Michael Weeks, also at Headquarters, reporting on the primary O-ring burn-through. The memo blamed the problem on the faulty 100 PSI leak check and reminded Weeks that Thiokol had not yet responded to the O-ring erosion action item sent out after STS-41-B one year earlier. Engineers at Thiokol also were increasingly concerned about the problem. On July 22, 1985, Roger Boisdoli of the Structures Section 
wrote a memorandum predicting NASA might give the motor contract to a competitor or there might be a flight failure if Thiokol did not come up with a timely solution. Nine days later, July 31, Boisdelay wrote another memorandum titled O-Ring Erosion Potential Failure Criticality to R.K. Lund, Thiokol's Vice President of Engineering. The mistakenly accepted position on the joint problem was to fly without fear of failure and to run a series of design evaluations which would ultimately lead to a solution or at least a significant reduction of the erosion problem. This position is now changed as a result of the 51-B nozzle joint erosion, which eroded a secondary O-ring with the primary O-ring never sealing. If the same scenario should occur in a field joint, and it could, then it is a jump ball whether as to the success or failure of the joint, because the secondary O-ring cannot respond to the clevis opening rate and may not be capable of pressurization. The result would be a catastrophe of the highest order, loss of human life. Boisterly recommended setting up a team to solve the O-ring problem and concluded by stating, It is my honest and very real fear that if we do not take immediate action to dedicate a team to solve the problem, with the field joint having the number one priority, then we stand in jeopardy of losing a flight along with all the launch pad facilities. In reply to specific questions from Marshall on August 9, Thiokol's Brian Russell reported the test data on the June 3 resiliency tests. As noted previously, he indicated O-ring resiliency was a function of the temperature and case expansion. Also, he wrote, Thiokol had no reason to suspect that the primary O-ring would fail after motor ignition transient. He said the secondary O-ring would seal within the period after ignition from 0 to 170 milliseconds. From 170 to 330 milliseconds, the probability of the sealing of the second O-ring was reduced. From 330 to 600 milliseconds, there was only a slight chance the secondary seal would hold. On August 19, 1985, Thiokol and Marshall program managers briefed NASA headquarters on erosion of the motor pressure seals. The briefing paper concluded that the O-ring seal was a critical matter, but it was safe to fly. The briefing was detailed, identifying all prior instances of field joint, nozzle joint, and igniter O-ring erosion. It recommended an accelerated pace to eliminate seal erosion, but concluded with the recommendation that it is safe to continue flying existing design as long as all joints are leak-checked with a 200 PSIG stabilization pressure, are free of contamination in the seal areas, and meet O-ring squeeze requirements. The briefing conclusions and recommendations appear in Figure 5. Figure 5. August 19, 1985 Headquarters Briefing General Conclusions and Recommendations General Conclusions All O-ring erosion has occurred where gas paths in the vacuum putty are formed. Gas paths in the vacuum putty can occur during assembly, leak check, or during motor pressurization. Improved filler materials or layup configurations which still allow a valid leak check of the primary O-rings may reduce frequency of O-ring erosion, but will probably not eliminate it or reduce the severity of erosion. Elimination of vacuum putty in a tighter joint area will eliminate O-ring erosion if circumferential flow is not present. If it is present, some baffle arrangement may be required. 
Erosion in the nozzle joint is more severe due to eccentricity. However, the secondary seal in the nozzle will seal and will not erode through. The primary O-ring in the field joint should not erode through, but if it leaks due to erosion or lack of sealing, the secondary seal may not seal the motor. The igniter Gasco seal design is adequate, providing proper quality inspections are made to eliminate overfill conditions. Recommendations The lack of a good secondary seal in the field joint is most critical, and ways to reduce joint rotation should be incorporated as soon as possible to reduce criticality. The flow conditions in the joint areas during ignition and motor operation need to be established through cold flow modeling to eliminate O-ring erosion. QM-5 static tests should be used to qualify a second source of the only flight certified joint filler material, asbestos-filled vacuum putty, to protect the flight program schedule. VLS-1 should use the only flight certified joint filler material. Randolph asbestos-filled vacuum putty in all joints. Additional hot and cold subscale tests need to be conducted to improve analytical modeling of O-ring erosion problem and for establishing margins of safety for eroded O-rings. Analysis of existing data indicates that it is safe to continue flying existing design as long as all joints are leak-checked with the 200 PSIG stabilization pressure are free of contamination in the seal areas, and meet O-ring squeeze requirements. Efforts need to continue at an accelerated pace to eliminate SRM seal erosion. End of Figure 5 Thiokol's Robert Lund, Vice President Engineering, noting that the result of a leak at any of the joints would be catastrophic, announced the establishment of a Thiokol O-ring task force on August 20, 1985 to investigate the solid rocket motor case and nozzle joints, both materials and configurations, and recommend both short-term and long-term solutions. Two days later, A.R. Thompson, Thiokol's supervisor of structure design, said in a memorandum to S.R. Stein, project engineer, that the O-ring seal problem has lately become acute. Thompson recommended near-term solutions of increasing the thickness of shims used at the tang and clevis mating and increasing the diameter of the O-ring. Several long-term solutions look good, but several years are required to incorporate some of them, Thompson wrote. The simple short-term measures should be taken to reduce flight risks. During a commission hearing, Thompson was asked about the larger diameter O-ring solution. Dr. Walker why didn't you go to the larger O-ring then? Mr. Thompson, one problem in going to larger O-rings is in field joints, plant joints. Excuse me. In the plant joints, if you put in the 295 and you take the worst on worst, when the joint is raised to a temperature of 325 degrees during the curing of the insulation, it is an overfill condition because of the alpha problems with the case and the rubber. Dr. Walker, there is no reason why a field joint and a plant joint had to have the same O-ring, is there? Mr. Thompson, there were some that were afraid of the QC people, that were afraid of the confusion that might be developed between two nearly the same sized O-ring. Thiokol's revised O-ring protection plan, dated August 30, 1985, indicated that NASA and Thiokol were still not in agreement on the magnitude of the joint rotation phenomenon. 
It said that presently there are conflicting data from solid rocket motor case hydro test and static test concerning the magnitude of case field joint rotation under motor pressure. A referee test will be devised, which is mutually acceptable to NASA and Thiokol, to determine joint opening characteristics. End of section 14. Recording by Marwak.